this morning, as I mentioned, uh, Charlie and, and his passing this week, um, he uh, will be remembered in a, in a service this Thursday, um, I believe, at 11 o'clock. Does someone have the confirmation on that at, at the Village Church in Flyer Mound? And, um, and so we'll, we'll definitely be sending out uh, some information about that uh, for sure. Uh, but do be praying for Vince and, and Katie and for Jack. Um, if you will turn to 1 Corinthians 13 there. Um, we're going to look this morning at love, what love is, what it does. And as we begin this morning, I want to ask the question, what is the mark of a Christian? What, what is the defining mark of a follower of Jesus Christ. If, if someone said, give me that one defining characteristic, give me that one defining mark, and the answer would be love. It would be love. In fact, Jesus says this in John 13, verse 34 through 35, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you're my followers, if you have love for one another. Jesus says this is the defining mark of a disciple, a follower of Christ, love that is like the love of Christ. And we're to express that love to one another. It's the mark of Christianity, this Christ-like love. But in the church at Corinth, as we have seen over the last few months, as we've walked through the book of 1 Corinthians, they were, Paul was dealing with unloving people, people that were unkind to one another for many different reasons. Um, they were prejudiced. They were jealous. Uh, you name it, these people were unkind to one another, yet they claimed to be very spiritual. They claimed to be those who were mature. But we're going to see this morning that that was not the case. As Paul writes about three things today, the necessity of love, the definition of love, what is this love that is necessary in a Christian's life, and then lastly, the permanence of love, that it will not fail, that it lasts forever. And so as we begin today, I want us to see the necessity of love. And here's how Paul begins in verses 1 through 3. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but do not have love, Paul says, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Paul wants us to know that love is greater than the spiritual gifts that he's been talking about the last couple of weeks. He says at the end of verse, uh, chapter 12 and verse 31 that love is the more excellent way. This love that Paul is speaking of is that love that, that God gives to us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. When we trust in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive this spiritual fruit of love. And this love is to overflow with love to God and also to others, to one another, especially in the church. And the Corinthians struggled with this love. 
But Paul says this is necessary. This is a necessary fruit of the Christian life. It is the mark of spirituality. Now, the Corinthians would say different. That they would say that this is what spirituality looks like. It, it means to speak in tongues. It means to prophesy. It means to have this great knowledge. But they had no concern about their behavior. They had no concern how they were treating one another. And Paul's going to say, you, you can have the most lavish spiritual gifts and yet not be spiritually mature. Paul would say this is what spiritual maturity looks like. It means to be full of the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. It means to behave like those who are followers of Jesus Christ, those who are called out to live holy lives, and the ultimate expression of that is love. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul tells us in Galatians 5.22-23, through 23, is this, to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Paul says these are more important than spiritual gifts. Now, Paul's not saying do away with spiritual gifts, that they don't have meaning whatsoever, but what he's saying is that love is more important than the spiritual gifts that he has been mentioning. In fact, look at verse 1 that we just read. He says, if I speak with tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I become this noisy gong or this uh, loud-sounding, claiming symbol. Um, Paul shows the point here of the necessity of love, mentioning these tongues of men, which refers to uh, a foreign language that um, we're not accustomed to speaking, but, but by the Spirit of God, we're given the ability to, to do so. And we've seen that in places like Acts chapter 2, um, and we've talked about that the last couple of weeks. We'll mention it more in two weeks as well. Paul says some have that gift. He even mentions here tongues of angels, uh, referring to language unknown to humans, which angels maybe would use to communicate to one another. Sometimes this is referred to the uh, ecstatic utterances. Um, there's no evidence here that, that Paul viewed this tongue as anything. In fact, we seem to lean toward that Paul was talking about human language more so Paul could even be using hyperbole here as well. But the Corinthians, on the other hand, believed in these ecstatic utterances. But what Paul is saying is whether it's tongues of men or tongues of angels, um, if you do not love, it's, it's a loud, clanging symbol. Uh, it means nothing. It's just noise. It's, it's nonsense, the tongues are, if it's not done in love. And then in verse 2, Paul mentions prophecy, which we'll talk about in detail next week. He also mentions this great knowledge, this great faith. But if we do not love, these mean nothing. Verse 3, he also mentions charity. He even mentions martyrdom, one laying their life down for a cause or for another. And he says here, these two acts of self-sacrifice, when done without love, they mean absolutely nothing. And Paul's point is, love is necessary. It is the true mark of Christianity. And so since love is the most important characteristic that Paul is mentioning here to the Christian life, we've got to know, what does this love look like? What is it, Paul? What, what does it do? What, what does it not do? And so look at the next part here. Paul defines love in verse 4. He says, love is patient. He says, love is kind. 
and is not jealous. It does not brag. It's not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. What is love? Paul spoke of love. John, the apostle, also spoke of love in 1 John 4, a passage we heard earlier in the service. John says that God is love. That's what God is. God is love. He's a loving God. He's love in his character. He's also loving in his action. He has an outgoing love. And we see this characteristic in the Father as we read Scripture. We see it in the Son and the Holy Spirit. But we also see this love expressed in the life of those where Jesus reigns, where the love of God reigns. We see this type of love expressed and lived out. Now, in our world, in this post-truth culture, love is defined as a feeling, something you feel. In fact, love in this world is conditional. It's dependent on another person meeting your needs or meeting certain expectations, meaning they they do something for you so you love them in return, or they look a certain way, or they meet some certain expectations, and therefore you love them. But this type of love burns out. This type of love fails. Christian love, biblical love, is not like that whatsoever. As believers, we have a strong definition of love for all relationships, marriages, families, the church. And so Paul gives 15 descriptions here of what love is. Before that, though, I want to give you a verse because I think this is significant. Jesus said this in John chapter 12, verse 24. Jesus is speaking of really two things here in this little parable here. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Very significant. If it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus here in this short little parable is speaking about his own life talking about that to his disciples, that he must die for for many to come to salvation, that that through his death he would bear much fruit, ultimately many who would follow him. But this verse is also for his followers. In saying this, that, that we must die, there must be a death occur for us to bear much fruit. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, If you want to come after me, you must do something. You must take up your cross. You must deny yourself and follow me. Paul says this in Galatians 2.20, that I've been crucified with Christ, that that I no longer live, but now Christ lives within me. He's the one doing the living. And so when we come to know Christ, there's a death of self that occurs. In fact, Paul's going to say this in 1 Corinthians 15. He's going to say, I die daily. You see, to love like what Paul's going to tell us here, a death must occur, and it's a death of self. Because to love like this means it's not about us. It's not about us. And so look how Paul defines this really, this dying love, really. 
that this love where we die to self. And literally, it's a picture of Christ. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, love is patient, and he says, love is kind. This patience here is more than just a good attitude while waiting for something, right? So when I think of patience, I, I go to, to really two things. I, I hate to wait in the drive-thru, which it's pretty fast already, so that you know, there tells you my issue. Um, and then I hate to wait in the doctor's office. I mean, I hate. And all of us would say, duh, I do too. So uh, this week, I went, I went to the dentist and had a great little uh, two-hour dentist visit. Um, I won't show you uh, what the tooth looks like uh, afterwards. It looks better now. But anyway, um, I, I'm sitting there in the office, and I'm like, man, I got here early, right? And I love my dentist. I, loved, I, I would even say this to them if they were here. But uh, I got there early, and I'm sitting there waiting. And I'm like, man, it's like 15 minutes past my appointment. And so they're so good when I come. Like, they're usually early and get me in. So I'm sitting there, and I'm all right. I can always, already feel a little bit in me getting agitated. Of like, and I'm like, Really? They're usually really good about getting me in early. Why, why, why am I feeling this? And, and, but I, but I, I, I get there, right? We, we struggle with patience. But what Paul is talking about right here is more than just a good attitude while we wait for something. It, it literally is responding to others with a calm, gentle, quiet spirit. And even when others do wrong to us, what Paul is saying here. Um, we do not seek revenge. We, we do not retaliate, but instead love, this type of biblical love that Paul is talking about here, it responds with gentleness. It responds with humility. And so think about this. Think about God's patience. Think about all the times that, that we have trespassed against the law of God, when, when we've sinned against God. Think of all those times, yet God loves us still. God wants us to have that kind of patience. He is so patient with us. Then look at this, love is kind. Kindness is simply doing good to those who may or may not appreciate what we do for them. So it's not just about being kind to those um, that, that we expect something good in return from. Kindness is showing good to others, no matter how they respond to you, no matter what they're like to you. And the ultimate good, what kindness ultimately is, is doing good to someone's soul. What do I mean by that? Ultimately, sharing the gospel with them, that's the greatest act of kindness, is expressing the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Um, David mentioned this earlier in the announcements, but on April 4th, from, from 9 to, to 3 p.m., we're going to have an opportunity to receive some training, to get some equipping, what I would say, in kindness. In kindness. Because that's what praying for others, that's what sharing the gospel really is about. It is being kind to someone's soul, telling them that the greatest news. And so from 9 to 3 p.m., we're going to have some training going on here. We're going to take a step across the street, uh, tell people about our Easter egg hunt, our, our services for Easter, but ultimately ask people, hey, is, is there something that I can pray for you about? And then if we get an opportunity to put into action what we learned that day and share the gospel with them um, in a very conversational way, the goal of this is that we would be practicing this in our life, 
in our life. And ultimately, that's what kindness is. It's the ultimate good to someone's soul. And that's letting them know about the gospel. So love is patient. Love is kind. He gives these two positive characteristics. And then he moves to these verbs that show us how love does not behave. And listen to what he says. He says, love is not jealous. It's not envious. Uh, This is when we have a spirit of dissatisfaction with uh, someone else. Um, We're in opposition to them because of what they have. We're in opposition to them because um, they have something we don't. So rather than rejoicing in the good, we're rather rejoicing in the good that God is doing in someone's life, we resent it because we want that good. We want to experience that for ourselves. And so what is this? This is a lack of contentment. That's what envy is. That's what jealousy is. It's it's a lack of contentment in God's providence for our own life. And so without contentment, it is hard to love others. And then he says that love does not brag. Man, in a a social media frenzy world, this part is is huge. Love does not speak much about oneself. But instead, love is what? It's others directed. You see, love is not self-consumed. Then Paul says love is not arrogant. It's not proud. Uh, Literally, love is not puffed up. Love is not inflated. You see, Paul is addressing one who is inflated with self, self self-consumed, self-love. It's happiness in things that are confined only to you. And this excludes others. This is harmful to others. It pursues only what is best for self, worldly wealth, comfort, convenience, pleasures, lust. But see, Christian love is opposite. It seeks the good of others for the glory of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, that that knowledge does something, right? Knowledge puffs up. But what does love do? Love builds up. Love builds up. You see, that's what love does. It's concerned about others and encouraging others. And then he says this, love does not act unbecomingly. Love is not rude, whether in words or in actions. Love also does not seek its own. It doesn't seek its own personal or private preferences without regard to what may be good for other people. Instead, um, love looks out for the interest of others above oneself. That's what Paul says in Philippians 2.4. That's what Jesus did. See, love seeks the good of the many, not just the comfort of yourself. Love is not provoked. There's a tough one. Love is not easily angered. It's not easily irritated. So this is the opposite of patience, right? Now, we all want a trouble-free life. In fact, we'd love a trouble-free day, right? We'd love to go to lunch after this. We'd love to have a trouble-free afternoon, trouble-free evening, wake up and have a trouble-free Monday. I mean, we would love to have a trouble-free spring break, you know, even though the kids are home. I mean, we'd love to have a trouble-free life. We, we would love that. We like when things go according to plans. When life doesn't, though, how do we respond? How does love respond? Often, when life doesn't go to plans, we complain, we can grumble, we get angry, we get critical, we get irritated. 
We could have a short fuse. Instead of having this long suffering, instead of having this patience. So something must happen. I know for me, to not be easily irritated or easily angered, something has to die, right? Something has to die. That might be our schedule, right? Schedule might have to die. Our ultimate desire for a trouble-free life has to die, right? Because trouble's going to come. It's going to come. So we must seek to be patient instead of easily irritated, easily angered. Then he says this, that love does not take account a wrong suffered. Wow. Do you feel like these are kind of increasing with, they're getting harder, right? Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. I love this word here about this wrong suffered. What this literally means about taking into account is love does not take inventory, right? Love does not take inventory of what others have done wrong to you, but instead, right, it absorbs offenses, insults, inconveniences for the sake of others' welfare, and ultimately even your own. Proverbs 15, 11 says this. It says, it is his glory to, to your worth, to your value, to overlook a transgression, to overlook an offense, And so Christian love doesn't keep this inventory of wrongs against you, but instead, what does it do? It forgives. It forgives. And then love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. This is huge, especially in our world today. This is huge. Love does not take delight in evil. It does not take delight in the misfortunes of others. Again, in a social media world and things that we see online and sometimes a lot of the misfortunes that we see of others, how do we respond to that? Do we laugh? Do we make it a joke? How do we respond? You see, love does not rejoice with unrighteousness. It doesn't rejoice with evil, but it takes great pleasure and delight in what is right and what is good and what is true. Love also does not cover up truth, but what does love do? It speaks truth in love. That's what love does. It's glad when truth prevails. I love what Paul Tripp says in his great devotional, New Morning Mercies. It says, real biblical, self-sacrificing, God-honoring love never compromises what God says to be right and true. In fact, truth and love are bound together, he says. Love that compromises truth simply isn't love. Truth without love ceases to be truth because it gets bent, it gets twisted by other human agendas. But if love wants and works for what is best for you, then love is committed to being part of what God says is best in your life. See, see that's what love is. Love rejoices with the truth, what is right and what is good. Not only that, but love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And so what does it mean to bear all things? It means it it protects. It's it's like a roof over your head. It's what love seeks to do to others. It protects. Not only that, it believes all things. It rests and it leans on the promises of God. And love hopes all things. It always sees what is possible. 
it expects what is best. And not only that, that love endures all things. It perseveres. And this is huge. This is huge. In a culture where it's really easy just to throw in the towel on, on this and that, to, to bail, to escape, to, to leave, love does not seek the easy way out. See, we want the easy way out. Way out. We want the easy button with every situation in life, relationship in life. That's what we want. We want the trouble-free life. But this type of love is willing to remain. It's willing to remain in difficult situations for the sake of another rather than seeking our own ease through escape. You see, this type of love does not look for the way out. You see, living and being close to people, this isn't like breaking news, but it means there's going to be hassles. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be heartbreaks. There's going to be hard times. We're going to get offended, right? In church, we're going to offend one another. In relationships and friendships, we're going to offend one another. But this type of love is here to see life with others to the end. To the end. To not throw in the towel, but to persevere. That's what this love does. So Paul says, this is the type of love that's to mark a believer. I mean, how different is this than what we see in our world? But I also will say this. How different is this than what is often seen sometimes in believers? And so Paul says, this is the love that is to mark our life. This is necessary. And not only that, but he's going to say it's permanent. It's superior, right? And here's what he means. Look at this in verse 8. We're going to wrap it up here in these last few verses, but look what he says. He says, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Paul says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I will know fully just um, as I also have been fully known. Paul here compares with what lasts forever and with what is temporary. And he mentions again these spiritual gifts. And what he's saying is that these spiritual gifts are, are temporary. Speaking in tongues and, and the knowledge, uh, the prophecy, th- these things are temporary. And, and they will cease when Jesus Christ returns. But love will last forever. Love is permanent. And so Paul wants the church at Corinth, he wants us to be spiritually mature. And so what would Paul say? Paul would say, this is what spiritual maturity looks like. It's feeling your life. It's occupying your life with that which is eternal. And Paul would say here, it's love. Loving like Christ. Make it your mission in life to love like this. It doesn't mean that our life is going to be void of these spiritual gifts. We've seen that. He says to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. You bet. 
But Paul says not at the expense of loving others because true Christianity, true spiritual maturity is marked by love. Marked by love. And then in verse 13, he says this. I love this verse. He says, but now, but now, faith, hope, and love abide in these three. But the greatest of these is love, is love. See, love will endure forever. It's the greatest, I believe, Paul says here, because when we see Christ in verse 12, right, when we see Christ, you know, we, we've, we've trusted in Christ. Faith is, is not by sight, right? But, but now we're going to see him. We, we've had hope. It's been our expectation to, to see Christ. Now we see him. And so faith and hope, it's fulfilled. We, we see him. But imagine this. When we see Jesus, right, and for eternity, our love will grow. It will grow and it will grow. And I think that's why Paul says here out of these three, the greatest is love. So what is Paul saying? I think church, he's telling us to cultivate this, to to grow in love, to make sure that this is what you're pursuing, that this is what you're going after, is loving others like this because it never fails. This type of love will not fail. I don't know about you, but I want something with that kind of assurance, right? Something with that kind of guarantee. And Paul says, it will never fail. It will never fail. And we come to a close of our time in the Word. I want to ask the question, are we willing to pay the price of love? Because we must die, right? To love this way, we must die to self. We, we've got to be willing to say, okay, it's not about me. It's not about me. But it's about the glory of God, and, 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 and it's about the interest of others before my own. And loving, like Paul says, to love here. Am I willing to pay the price of love at home? Am I willing to pay the price of love at the office right? Am I willing to love people I work with this way? Am I willing to love people in my neighborhood this way? Am I willing to love people in the church this way? And ultimately, it deals with, are we willing to die? Are we willing to die to self? This is what Paul says it will take to love like this. As we think about this type of love, I'm reminded of the love of God today. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love toward us. I love this verse. And that while we were yet sinners, when we were at our worst, our lowest time in life, our dirtiest time in life, Christ died for us. That's what this love looks like. Today, if you're here and you're reading this great definition of love, I want you to know that that's the love of God. Have you experienced that type of love? Have you experienced the love of God? The Bible says that this love has been expressed in Jesus Christ, that Jesus, even though while we were sinners, the Bible says we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, we, we've all trespassed against God. But yet, God loved us 
and he sent Jesus to die for us. So then instead of the wages of death for our sin, Jesus wore our sin. Jesus took our sin. Jesus paid the price for our sin so that we could have a relationship with God. That's what love looks like. Jesus willingly laid down his life. He put the interest of us before his own. He laid aside his glory here in coming to heaven, or from heaven to earth, and he willingly laid him to the side and took our place. That's what love looks like, and that's what Jesus did for us. Today, if you've never said yes to Christ, never believed in Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says if we believe in our heart that, that Jesus died and that God raised him again on the third day, and that if we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says we will be saved. That's how much God loves you. I pray today, if you're here, you've never trusted him, that you would say yes to him today, that you would say yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray together.